A few weeks ago, we recorded this following episode while I was visiting Australia. Since then, the fires there have escalated considerably. Our thoughts are with the firefighters, people, and wildlife of Australia as they grapple with these catastrophic bushfires. Our show notes for this episode shares information for how you can donate to help Australians during these challenging times. of um, the laneway renewal there was no plan or vision it's just like you know there was a lot of empty shops and squatters and mm. so we got together because there was so much patient capital cheap rent mm-hmm. and stuff and places to do stuff in no one stopped us okay. we called it we called it then illegal acts of love oh. we just went out and put on dance parties back in the early 90s mm. and put on a big stereo keg and the police would come, you know, two hours later, but they wouldn't stop us. They could just yeah. shut it down because they could see what we were doing was good. And there was no people living in the city, so and there was no complaints. Um, now we've started to see laneways in their third and fourth generation of traders. Mm-hmm. And the rents have gone up, of course. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So those first generation are mostly gone. And there's a whole For the last few weeks, my wife, daughter and I have been on the road as part of a family sabbatical. We're exploring eight countries over the course of about 13 weeks as a way of reconnecting as a family and recharging for the upcoming decade. The second stop on our tour was Melbourne. Ranked as the second most livable city in the world by the Economist Intelligence Unit's Global Livability Index, I was excited to explore this place that I have long admired from afar. One of the things that makes Melbourne such a great place to be is its network of bustling laneways. These unique spaces owe their existence to the original survey of the city dating back to 1837. Back then, these laneways provided rear service access for servants and carts carrying goods to local businesses. Over the last number of decades, however, these laneways have been revitalized as public places for people to enjoy. So I wanted to talk to someone who knows the ins and outs of Melbourne's laneways. My name is Gilbert Rochecourt. I'm the founder managing director of Village Well. We're a, a place-making organisation based in Melbourne, Australia. Gilbert took me on a tour of some of the laneways within Melbourne's central business district, highlighting key aspects of their evolution and introducing me to some local characters along the way. After our walking tour, I sat down with Gilbert to talk to him a bit more about Melbourne's laneway culture. So let's dive in. The first layout of the city was done by Robert Hoddle, and that's why it's called the Hoddle Grid Mm -hmm. in Melbourne, and they're quite big roads and boulevards, but also um, interconnecting those in the day where we had to, um, it was horse and cart, had little laneways, and in those laneways had others, mini laneways and connecting laneways. Mm -hmm. So they were all the back of house um, Mm -hmm. uh, for the buildings, actually. And um, so we've been really fortunate to be gifted a unique grid. There's mm-hmm. not too many cities mm-hmm. in the world that has a grid like Melbourne. Uh, yeah, the gifting of those laneways and has been quite unique. And having said that, you know, they've only come back to life in the last, you know, 20 to 30 years mm-hmm. um, and put Melbourne on the map mm-hmm. as uh, one of the key elements that make it... A, one of the world's most livable cities. Right. So, so the the laneways themselves they were um, somewhat um, neglected, underrun for 
a, a lot of years. And then in the 90s, there it seems that there was a, a shift. Could you describe some of those key decisions and moves that started to animate those spaces? <clears throat> sure. I think it started back in 82, 83 when Melbourne was voted one of the you know, not so great cities of the world, a donut city, and people would just uh, leave after five or six o'clock. It was a dead city. No one was living in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, there was lack of um, art and culture, or trees and shade. And I think uh, those civic leaders then, um, the the planning minister and lots of other key key leaders at the time, including Rob Adams, who I think came in 83, 84 to the city of Melbourne and mm-hmm. is still there, mm-hmm. um, worked closely with the key um, collaborators and, and property groups and, and really started to create a vision that would bring Melbourne, would bring people back to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. It was a nine-to-five city that turned its back on its river. Uh, so I think... A palette of um, initiatives in the the 80s, like Postcode 3000, which attracted and people to to residential back to the city, and that it created incentives for property owners, mm. and um, and they were given you know planning sort of speed speed of planning, you know, okay. DAs yeah. developed applications through to rent, you know, um, rate relief and a whole heap of incentives and through to the urbanism plan that Rob Adam did and, and which later Rob, um, sorry, um, Young Gal mm. supported mm. Um, places for people work um, back in the late 80s and early 90s around reclaiming the street for people and, you know, small footpaths became doubled or tripled in size okay. and, yeah. and, uh, and then the stone for Melbourne is bluestone it was all bitumen then mm. concrete okay. they started to overlay um, the beautiful bluestone which is yeah. all over the city and um, the, the lack of treescape it was hot as people mm-hmm. didn't want to walk the streets mm-hmm. not only because it was small because there was no shade as well so the, the street planting which is now quite incredible, mm-hmm. and the the um, obviously the big interventions of public civic anchors like Federation Square, right. and New Museum, right. and and redevelopment of the Docklands added another mm-hmm. bit of city making, uh, and then the other changes in the planning and liquor licensing laws. Where you couldn't oh, okay. buy a glass of wine, you yep. had to bring buy a bottle, so people never sat down. And uh, changing the laws was a battle, and okay. because it was the pubs who owned the drinking establishments, hmm. and the, the hundred restaurants couldn't serve a glass of wine; they had to bring your own bottle and open a bottle. Oh, so right. that liquor license yeah. shifted the whole culture oh, of Melbourne, the liquor licensing, and um, so with more residences better pavement activation and trees and shade and that liquor licensing laws changing we, we, we saw a revolution in small bars mm-hmm. and, and, and music venues just flourish like literally a hundred within a few years opened up and, and then suddenly we were, they were allowed to trade on the street mm. New have a lot of street trading so in that first five to ten years in the mid 80s to 95 97 really was a, a revolution that set mm-hmm. the foundation 
to what mm. we have now. Mm. And obviously the um, laneway art and public art interventions yep. created and, and the busking policies and street trading policies, all that together mm-hmm. integrated, created a, a, just a new, because we had this grid we could right. activate walkable spaces that were for just for people. Right. So you had the, the key the bones key. of it. And then we have, you know, the largest trolley tramway network in the world. Mm-hmm. How good was that? Mm-hmm. So it already was a slow city. Right, right, right. You know, no buses with big fumes or cars. We had yeah. trams everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that created an amazing network of walkability. Mm-hmm. and the network of laneways where people just started to come back to the, mm-hmm. these laneways. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, duck, ducks to water. <laughs> it's like we want to be with people, not cars. Yeah, yeah. And then um, some major interventions happened in the city with the renewing of the river frontage mm-hmm. back in the early 90s, um, really created a sense of what I call the blue gold. People wanted to connect to water mm-hmm. and green spaces yeah. and, um, and sit and reclaim Birong, which is the indigenous name for the Yarra River, mm-hmm. um, and that's created a whole new, you know, experience for the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're very fortunate. All these interventions, including enlightened developers coming in in the mid '90s, late '90s, like Melbourne Central, and mm-hmm. put laneways and activated its edges and a shopping centre that took the air conditioning out, put bluestone. It, it acted more like a city than a shopping centre. <laughs> had a piazza. Right, right. Had um, community spaces. It had a, activated a, a transport hub underneath. Mm-hmm. And what was, the, what was the line you would use on the tour? That it curates, not It curates, not, not managed. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah most shopping centres and retail, you know, have a centralised retail management model. These are more curators and uh, understand how to activate a place and mm-hmm. make it sticky and lovable, mm-hmm. you know? Right, right. So if you make a place sticky and lovable and has all these great things in it, um, and then they use the concept of the power of free, mm. which is a, a smart way for developers, the smart developers give away some public space. Right. Or their private space to the public yeah. in pocket parks or public squares, and create free entertainment and free events. Um, so people mm-hmm. come and mm-hmm. and put free public seating in their shopping centres where people could eat and connect and mm-hmm. watch people pass, like a city does. Yeah, right. So right. Melbourne Central is now the highest performing retail centre in the Southern Hemisphere. So, <laughs> so they use curation and placemaking in a very strategic way. Mm-hmm. Where I think you know the the old big box shopping centres are dying. Yeah. <coughs> so they need a new. They understood and they took a blue ocean strategy where all, all the other were just swimming with the sharks. Right. You know, right. consumerism, where they saw the citizen consumer. Yeah. Right. And right. through using arts and culture and as a city should. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, um, so the laneways are now evolving, obviously, and they've uh, some would say are gentrified, not as politically active. Yeah, there's not as radical anti-Nike murals <laughs> everywhere or anti-corporate. It's more interesting murals, but I think that's coming back now. Mm. 
as a response, as a response to that, yeah. as a response to, to over its own success and own success and over, yeah. over consumption, yeah, and climate change. Mm-hmm. Climate change will be the tipping point for all cities in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we'll see um, cities reclaim their local heart and their resilient heart, and I suppose in one sense, in more deliberative processes of. Um, giving power back to the community mm-hmm. you know that agency yeah. is the next revolution for us mm-hmm. that um, we have traders as placemakers and looking after the streets we have citizens or looking after mm-hmm. our communities, and, and and in some instances of certainly projects we worked on, there's there's there you know in looking at downtowns, there appears to be a, a bit of a trend of um, the the ownership of a of a storefront, let's say, stops at at the door, um, and and the city municipal government needs to look after what's outside is that is there a different ethos in the laneways of of melbourne in terms of um more of a like you say shopkeepers as as placemakers um to feel like they really need to contribute and they're a part of that that special specialness of the place the shopkeepers are contributing to the the streets i think that's evolving yeah um if you look on the outer edge of melbourne we have great Villages, Carlton, Brunswick, Richmond, Paran, South Melbourne, St Kilda. So those edge mm-hmm. um, villages that are connected by the tram network, the trolley network, have great retailers who are a bit more activists, more regenerative, more local, mm-hmm. community-based. You've probably mm-hmm. seen them when you mm-hmm. walk down Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very gritty, yeah. interesting shops. Yeah. Local operators, yeah, local owners. For sure. Um, there's a few thousand of those in Melbourne. We're very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, the brand names, we've, you know, um, uh, Starbucks had to close 10 of their stores in Melbourne. There's only one or two in the city because how are you going to compete with Melbourne coffee baristas? Yeah, yeah. You know, and wow. the community. But, you know, the tourists love Starbucks, so it's a safe place, free <laughs> yeah. Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> so there's still going to be a market for that, yeah. but not they're not going to cream the place, um, right. which I think is a good thing. So I think these traders, the, the principle and concept of Melbourne is, which sort of led a little bit, traders as placemakers is a powerful concept. Hmm. So they're the ones who are curating events and giving yeah, back and, right. you know, can pay it forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, every time I go get a soup or a sandwich, I'll put an extra $10, mm. put a little sticky note for someone who might be less fortunate than me. Right, right. Or homeless and have a meal in, in a dignified setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. It's a small thing. It doesn't fix the structural issues of, you know, more social housing, more affordable yeah. housing. But I think uh, Melbournians have a hopefully a, prog- a more progressive ethos yeah and and uh, celebrating multiculturalism and, and inclusiveness and accessibility mm-hmm. um, so but we have our challenges you know you know the rents have gone up in a lot of these right. laneways and uh, and it's created a, a somewhat slight gentrification we're getting slick mm-hmm. not franchises but slick mm-hmm. operators mm-hmm. coming into the laneways and yeah. changing the dynamics but we're still got a, a good cohort of good operators mm-hmm. 
the major boulevards. I've got, you know, Connor Street has your upmarket Louis Vuitton and all the brands. Yeah. Every city has those. Yeah. All global city. Yeah. And then you have the, you know, <clears throat> all the restaurants along the riverfront and, and, and a couple of shopping centres that are keeping the people in the city, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think are really important. Yeah, for sure. So shopping sure. centres are their place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, that stop the leakage. Right. Leaving the city, we right. want people to stay in the city yeah. and walk everywhere. Yeah, yeah, less cars for sure. And is if if you had to pull some key lessons from uh, the Melbourne uh, laneway experience that folks in other corners of the world, and I know you're you're uh, teaching folks about making place in other parts of the world. What about the laneway experience specifically? Uh, do you think folks can take from from the Melbourne experience? Yes, yeah, so I think there's more, you know, in the beginning it was about starting small and I think one operator, a good operator with great coffee or good food could be a domino effect, mm. will attract others. Um, he, yeah, so small is beautiful, so I think about walkability, the concept of grittiness. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting a sign writer or, or a, a marketing studio, it's about getting... Yeah, your friend's friend who has an artist friend to come in <laughs> and who has a bit of passion and grit and that, that has a mishmash and you'll see bits of those everywhere in the late mm-hmm. maze mm-hmm. and that's and that's like an ecosystem so I think that's really important I think clustering is important some of ways have more sort of certain style of bars or food or, okay. or yeah. a jazz yeah. bar as an anchor or a little bookshop um, the importance of art and signage, mm-hmm. uh, signage that becomes art, mm-hmm. and the the work that the city leaders have done in creating bluestone and you know nice artistic signage that's right. hand artistically hand curated and crafted. It's one off. Mm-hmm. Um, the importance of working together as a retail, as a trader guild community, which is really important. Mm-hmm. They. Create their, curate their own events like some traders in Hardwick Lane pay a little put money in the bucket every month and they pay for two jazz bands that come every night oh wow As they, they pay for it not the city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's always something happening every night rain right. hail or sh- shine mm. I think you know that that's the power of enlightened retailers who right. they get it right. it's bigger than me right. it's about the we yeah uh, and, and it also doesn't actually—it doesn't hurt business to have people to have an event every night. Fifty dollars, everyone puts <laughs> twenty to fifty dollars a night, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you get a full restaurant every night. It's nothing. Yeah. It's like that's yeah. just one person having yeah. an entree. You've yeah. just paid for it. Yeah, for sure. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and I think also the, the sense of um, I mentioned before is putting people first in these laneways, not cars. Uh, or shared space mm-hmm. um, is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the importance of these laneways going somewhere. Oh, okay. You know, right. it's destinational. It links up and up to another laneway, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. crossing a street to another laneway to another laneway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People will find those little Antracks and they become destinational in themselves. Right. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think um, 
all of this starts to 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 to, to create a narrative, and every laneway should have its own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with its own yeah. artist or own bioregional story or own local or indigenous story. Yeah, tell a story. Yeah, yeah, I for think, sure. And I think. So the traders are really critical because they activate the place, they animate and active mm-hmm. frontages yeah. and, um, and open frontages are really important mm-hmm. so they're not mm-hmm. closed off from the laneway. So yeah. the laneway experience continues into the restaurant. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Know, that that sure. design yeah. principle, yeah. Or, you know, we call it the hardware and the software mm. talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly that's been my experience so far of, you know, whether it's a, an ice cream shop or a restaurant or what have you, it's, it really does feel fluid. And even when you're inside the activity and what's going on outside is not very far away. You can, cause it, oftentimes it gets position, you know, the, the uh, fluidity of it gets talked about almost from the perspective of someone outside of that frontage being able to see inside. But what I found here particularly is, is the opposite is equally as true and energizing in terms of, you know, just grabbing a really, really great ice cream and being able to see what's going on outside while I'm still inside is, is, has been really, really there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, For sure. sure. So I think, um, yeah, I think all these principles are really important. Um, because ultimately, you know, if you have a small space and you create, you know, people will be attracted by beauty. You know, we found in our research beauty and intimacy together around mm. uh, a safe environment where people can walk, people will stay 20% longer. Mm. 20% longer. Wow. So people linger longer. And when they linger longer, they'll spend more money. Yeah, for sure. So beauty is an attractor. Mm. Interesting. So for us, obviously, you know, we put a commercial narrative on everything, even though we're very socially and ecologically driven, place driven, Mm -hmm. you know, because 90% of all cities are built by the private sector. Mm -hmm. You've got to speak their language and talk to the principles. Things work together instead of at odds with each other, which is how it often gets positioned. So you need to sell them the principles that takes many hands to create a great place the wisdoms in the community the um you know let's get beauty as an attractor mm. get people to linger longer the public space is an anchor the importance of um you know telling a story mm-hmm. uh, and also ownership of place mm-hmm. all of these things it's much harder in the private sector to get ownership of place but that's where the, the elephant in the room is yeah we got to go yeah. there. We well, can, if it's 90%, then that's where the yeah. biggest opportunity is, right? right. Yeah, yeah. That's right, with shopping yeah. centres or big streets with yeah. full of retailers. Yeah, and, for sure. And then, But we do have a role in, obviously, renewing, mm-hmm. creating these beautiful public spaces and streets. So streets become, you know, the anchor because we, we're not... We have an English model of high streets. We adopted not the European model of piazzas. Mm, mm-hmm. So we've got to work with that. Yep. We, we've got to create yeah. the new piazzas now. Right, right. But it's the street. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think we're in an exciting window of opportunity with Melbourne. Obviously, there's external tipping points, economic, cultural, population, and the big one, climatic. Mm-hmm. You know, we may get... Um, I was running a 
a workshop for all our emergency management, you know, mm-hmm. organisations, electricity companies, fire, water, police, um, road, infrastructure, transport, and, you know, we will most likely have 10 days over 45 degrees Celsius. It'll be like Saudi Arabia. So yeah. what do we do then when yeah. everything gets, yeah. literally our farms will be burnt and, and our infrastructure mm-hmm. will melt down. This is before 2030. So mm-hmm. this will happen globally in different climatic shifts. Yeah. So even the, the governments waking up and yeah. preparing now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And that's, if that's in the next 10 years, so what will the city be? Yeah. A resilient city, a city that can adapt and move and mm-hmm. you know, build food security and energy security, but more importantly, cultural security and the energy for, for groups, large groups to... To, to not go into the despair and fear budget but move into the hope budget because <laughs> we need a hope budget in mm-hmm. our cities so people can quickly go oh yes this is what we'll do we know our neighbours you know, everyone yeah, should know their right. neighbours and, right. and then mobilise in precincts yep. so all these things will be really important yep. in what we do and how we work together how we mm-hmm. you know yeah absolutely so I think it's an exciting space that we're looking at but you know we wish it didn't happen yeah <laughs> in a yeah, way. yeah yeah absolutely. but we have to move into that space because yeah. no one at the, we don't see leadership in anywhere else so yeah as we do with village well we try to lead from the front mm-hmm. um, um, but there's you know we we're very f- focused around um, you know making a difference mm-hmm. in people's lives in, from a place making and yeah pushing government and private sector and um, to create better places for people you know it's yeah. A, it's yeah and all, and all the all the myriad benefits that come with that in terms of a more resilient community a more economically vibrant community and it goes on and on that's why placemaking is such an interesting area of practice and and um, yeah the work you're doing is super inspiring <laughs> Thank you. It's great to yeah. um, have a chat, and, uh, yeah. and it's great to, to know there's a, a like-minded group on the other side <laughs> yeah, of the planet, side, yeah. on the colder side of the planet. Cool. So <laughs> we'll, we'll come in your summer and have a visit one day. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Melbourne's laneways was the diversity of spaces that they represent, from high-end retail shops to cheap takeaway food to pianos for the public to play we found ourselves returning again and again to explore new kinds of laneways. The story of the evolution of the laneways highlights how there's no single solution to creating great space. The success of these laneways is a combination of many different kinds of folks taking a variety of actions over a long period of time. Intentional change, collaboration, and patience are necessary aspects to all kinds of good city building. Tune in to our upcoming episodes as we release our multi-part City Builder series. And as we continue our family sabbatical, we'll also be adding episodes about unique aspects of the cities that we visit along this tour. My wife, daughter, and I have been on the road as part of a family sabbatical. We're exploring eight countries over the course of about 13 weeks as a way of reconnecting as a family and recharging for the upcoming decade.